Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow. Thanks so much for tuning in with you for the next 60 minutes as we'll break down all that is happening with the New York Giants. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. We'll get to your tweets, hashtag Giants chat. But right off the top, we have a very special guest. Giants had two third-round picks this year, the second of which they utilized to take B.J. Hill, the defensive tackle out of North Carolina State. And to provide more insight on B.J. Hill, we are now joined by the head coach, of the North Carolina State football team, and that is Dave Doran. Coach, you got Lance Middle, Paul Dettino with you here on Giants.com. Appreciate the time. How's everything? Everything's good. Thanks for uh, giving me the time with you guys today. Absolutely. Thank Our you, pleasure. Coach. And thanks so much for making time for us. Well, let's start off the top, Coach. You've seen B.J. develop over the course of four years with NC State. What are the Giants getting in a player like that on the defensive line? Uh, you're getting a very consistent guy. I mean, he's one of the most day-in and day-out uh, same personality, same work ethic, same grind. Uh, I mean, you know exactly what's coming to work, and, and he's a dedicated guy that loves the game, loves his teammates, a very, very solid technician, uh, extremely strong. But, uh, I mean, guy comes from an incredible family and is blue-collar all the way. We talked to him the other day, Coach. He had mentioned there was a uh, – um, I believe he had lost some weight – at, at one point, and, and what do you think he's going to play at in the National Football League, and do you believe that he'll be able to have the power and the, and the speed to compete at this level? Well, as far as where he's going to be, I mean, I assume they know that there. They drafted him, but uh, I mean, he's definitely an inside player, whether he's, you know, a nose or a three or a, mm-hmm. a zero or a four eye. I mean, it's up to those guys, but I, I definitely think he has the, the power and the speed to be a competitive guy there, and you know, the biggest thing for him will just be the pass rush aspect of it for third down. But I think, you know, first and second down, uh, he, the guy's never on the ground. Uh, he, <laughs> I mean, he has great feet. He's extremely strong. I mean, his hands are going to be in the right place, and they're big. And he'll be able to control blocks and shed blocks and play a primary gap and a secondary gap if he's asked to. And, and I'm going to tell you, fundamentally, he's the best inside defensive lineman I've ever seen. Um on a football team I've coached, and and on top of all of it, like I said, I just think whatever those coaches tell him is going to be the Bible to him. I mean, he's going to believe it. He's going to work it. He's going to go out there and do what they want him to do. Well, speaking of the talent that you've had the pleasure to work with on the defensive line, you have all four starters drafted this year, including Bradley Chubb. From watching those guys interact, how much did B.J. open up opportunities for those other three versus the other three opening up opportunities for B.J., Coach? Uh, You know, I don't know. I mean, all of them have a primary gap in our defense. You know, we're four down front, and B.J. was primarily an inside uh, A-gap player. Um, and he would make plays, you know, in his gap and plays on the backside of his gap, you know, when he controlled blocks. Uh, in a pass rush, you know, those guys worked off of each other a lot, you know. So if he was to Bradley and, and Bradley would take an inside move, B.J. would make him right. And uh, obviously his ability to collapse the pocket and flush quarterbacks out to those ends helped them as well. But, you know, I don't think he's a player that made more plays because the other guys were better than him or anything like that. I think he for four years, earned his keep inside and made a lot of tackles for us, and at times was the most productive guy we had up front. You know what's interesting to me, Coach? I'm looking at just his his stat record here and his game-by-game log. Yeah, he played all four years. It looks like he played a lot of, of snaps for you as a freshman as well. And did. and that's a pretty impressive thing to do, to come in right away to a program such as yours and to be able to make an impact as a, as a regular kind of rotation player. Well, at the point in time when uh, those four guys were recruited, I mean, they knew coming here that was part of the deal. We we were not a team that had a lot of talent or depth, and we were trying to build a program. Uh, that was my first recruiting class, and so they all knew that they were going to have to play early and, and probably earlier than they should have, you know, in some cases because they were giving up some pounds at that time. You know, my B.J. was a 260-pounder that, you know, grew into a 315-pound guy <laughs> over time, and and has made that weight better and better each year, you know, as far as the body fat composition and all that. So, you know, I think the the reps are, is one thing that you can never replace, you know, and the game experience that he and those yeah. other three guys have is, is uh, so valuable. 
Talking with Dave Doran, head coach of NC State, where B.J. Hill played over the last four years. He's now joining the Giants. And, you know, the other thing that jumps out to me based on what we brought up in terms of how much game experience he has, Coach, the fact that he made 40-plus consecutive starts to end his career, I think that speaks volumes of his durability. What do you attribute to why B.J. has been able to stay on the field and be that durable force on the defensive line? Well, one thing I'll tell you he did is he maximized the resources we have here. I mean, he was a, we call it prehab, but a guy that would go in the training room extra and work on areas, you know, that he felt like he needed to be better, you know, more flexible in this area. Or if a body part had bothered him in the past, doing, you know, training exercises to make up for things we call them extra needs. But just he was really on top of his body. He knew He knew himself and, you know, being an inside player that starts 40 games says a lot about his mental toughness, too, because, you know, those guys are never 100%. There's always something, and he was able to manage it and play through it and it didn't uh, impact his game in most cases. In your mind, Coach, as you said, you had him play for four years, and there's nothing like playing experience to get a player better. Where is the one particular area of his game that, like, really opened your eyes and said, oh, he's not just a good player for us, but he probably can go to the next level and make some kind of impact? You know, just watching how how square uh, and how easily he can control blocks and stay square to the line of scrimmage. I mean, it's effortless for him. You know, he locks people out and stays in his gap, and and we try to establish a, a line of scrimmage on their side of the ball defensively, and he makes it look easy, you know, and I think you take it for granted now that he's gone probably, but you know, day in and day out, just to see him do that over and over and over and over, and, and uh, it's it's really impressive. Coach, you brought up the fact that he was part of that first recruiting class for you, and when you look at the Giants right now, they have a new general manager, a new head coach. You know, tweaking the culture is a big part of what this new rookie class is going to provide for the Giants. You know, What stands out to you about B.J. as a locker room presence and somebody that also helped transform what you were trying to build at NC State? Well, he's going to be one of the grinders on that team. You know, He will establish culture with work ethic for sure. Uh, B.J. is not afraid to get up and, and talk in front of the team and say something that needs to be said. He's not a cheerleader by any means, but he is a very uh, aware person, and, and he understands what good culture is and what bad culture is. And he'll be able to address situations when he feels like it's the time to do it. Um, and I know he'll be a positive influence on other people because he's a very Christian young man. He, he has his life together off the field, and he'll care about his teammates and how they're acting. Coach, let me ask you this. If New York Giants fans wanted to go on, on the video on the Internet and find highlights of a particular game where he might have stood out, is there a memorable game that he played for you that kind of left an imprint, that, that he was just really a, a monster, if you will, that, that you just can't get out of your mind? Honestly, I can't. I mean, he played so much for us here. <laughs> you know, I mean, there wasn't one particular day where – I mean, you could probably go back and find the games where he was named player of the game, you know, and right. do it that way. But, I mean, what I remember the most about him is just his consistency. I mean, it, you know, as a former linebacker coach, you always want to have those two inside defensive linemen that just control, completely control t uh, three blockers, you know, the two guards in the center. If you have a good three technique and a good nose guard are occupied by two people a lot of times, and he was able to do that for a long time for us. You know, and the other thing that DTs have to be is very unselfish because we all know it can be a thankless job. And, Coach, I tell you, that's why attitude is so important for that position especially. Yeah, I mean, you think about it. Those guys have to love um, every single play hitting something 300 pounds and sometimes 600 pounds, you know, because mm -hmm, yeah. the double teams that take place in there. And it's not something that is for most people. I mean, you have to have a little bit of crazy to you, to be honest with you, to play that position and, he, you know, and be great at it. You know, and I think that's something that the technique and fundamentals that uh, BJ bought into here helped him become really good in that area. And like I said before, the blue cow, the blue collar mentality is real with them. I think that's one of the reasons why when Dave Gettleman addressed the media coach, one of the things he said when describing B.J. Hill is he's a powerful, tough son of a gun. So based on what you just described, I, I think that's fitting. Yeah, no, he is. I mean, he's he's what you want that guy to be, uh, every bit of it, you know. And the linebackers that play behind him are going to be thankful he's there. 
Coach, before we let you go, last one for me. When you look at BJ's stats off the page, nine sacks over the course of his four years, and you mentioned one of the things that he'll look to continue to develop is his pass rushing ability. What is the upside, though, with BJ Hill in terms of having the ability to get to the quarterback moving forward in his NFL career? Well, his power, and, and you know, he ran a four nine five, so it's it's not a you know he's not one of these space eaters that can't move. You know, I mean, he can run, and so. He has gotten better every year. Uh, to his credit, he works so hard, and he'll continue to get better. You know, he's going to learn more there than he did here because uh, the level of expertise in the room, not just coaching-wise, but the veteran players around him, will give him some crafts and you know uh, that can help his game. And he'll continue to improve. And I know that that's an area of his game that he'll work hard at. If it's something they feel like he can do something better, he'll do it. Dave Doran, head coach of NC State. Coach, greatly appreciate the time and the inside, and best of luck in the upcoming season. Thanks very much. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. Go Pack. All right. Dave Doran, once again, kind enough to give us a few minutes, weighing in on B.J. Hill and speaking volumes of his character as well as his ability to help move the pile, as I like to say. I like one word that he said, consistency. Four years he plays in the program plays a tremendous amount of reps as a freshman because, as he said, the cupboard was a little thin, and they told those guys coming in in that class, you're going to have to play a lot. Well, you go to a big-time program like that, and you play all those snaps over all those four years, and then you have the coach come and say, consistency, that's what I love about him. I can't even pick out one great game because consistency was his game. To me, that's a really, really good thing to have when you drafted a player because when you talk about players being hit and miss and, you know, you can't afford to get a bust, you got to get a guy who's going to be a sure thing. you got to get a guy who's going to be able to give you something, especially as early as possible if you're the Giants. Well, you're getting a guy now who his coach is saying he's Mr. Consistency. That says to me – that B.J. Hill is going to give the Giants some very productive snaps this season. That's what that says to me when I hear those kinds of things. Well, if you look at what he did at NC State, to your point, Paul, you're talking about a freshman that came in in 2014. He played 12 games right off the bat and yeah. started five of his last six. So, you know, they didn't necessarily redshirt him, which no. you see a lot of times. No. You know, you keep the freshman on the sideline. They brought him in, and then he has started – all 13 games, 15, 16, 17. So he's been able to stay on the field. His numbers are pretty consistent even in terms of from a statistical standpoint over the last few seasons. And, you know, he's a big force on that defensive line that doesn't jump off the page because, let's face it, there were three other guys that got drafted yes. and a number of other players that also got a lot of those sacks. And let's make something clear. John and I did this on the show the other day. Dave Gittleman strictly went with his value board. He told everybody that value is the most important part of this. Need is a much lesser part, if at all. And when he drafted BJ in the in the uh, second pick of the third round, you know, John and I were doing the show, and we're thinking, well, there are value cornerbacks there, there are value offensive tackles there, and they meet the Giants' needs better. Well, guess what? Need was not part of the equation. Dave Gittleman saw this guy on the board and said, "Look at this value." This guy probably will compete to be the third defensive tackle on this team. You're going to start Tomlinson. You're going to start Snacks. From everything that we're being told about this player, I don't think it's a stretch, Lance, to, to say right now he could be competing as the third defensive tackle against whoever else is in that locker room. Well, I mean, also, just look at the state of the roster right now. I mean, Robert Thomas is really the lone returning guy because Jay Bromley became a free agent. Correct. And then R.J. McIntosh. So I think the opportunity is right there in front of him to certainly, year one, become that third rotational defensive yeah. tackle. even so some of the guys like uh, Morrow, uh, you know, could slide down. They can move in and in out. The They've got the versatility. They've got yeah. – Kerry Wynn's done it before. they got guys who have done it, but – this, this guy's going to compete for, for, for rotational snaps and right away. So I have a better picture after the draft, as John and I said. We didn't know how much of a need component would be in Dave Gettleman's equation. It's quite apparent after the draft, it really wasn't a component. He was after quality players who had high value at the time that they were picking. And you know what? It's a trenches guy. And what do you know about Football 101? You can never go wrong having quality guys in the trenches. Well, and also, we've talked about his track record in drafting at Carolina, Paul, and he didn't shy away from taking Love defensive DTs. tackles. He, one year he Loved took them. DTs in his first two picks. Loved them. 
And that was at the top yeah. of the draft in terms of the first and second round. So I think that says it all. Now, real quickly, before we head to the phone lines at 201-939-4513, you brought up corner, and the Giants have been very active over the last few days in adding to that secondary room. They're collecting them like those little bazooka bubblegum comics. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of them. Actually, I mean, here's the totals right now. Paul, they have added seven defensive backs this offseason. And I'm not talking about drafted, undrafted guys. I'm just talking about free agents. You have a corner, William Gay, C.J. Goodwin, who they just claimed off of waivers from the Cardinals, who, by the way, has a carryover to James Betcher, played the final two games with the Cardinals at 17, Curtis Riley, B.W. Webb, Teddy Williams. And then safeties, Michael Thomas, great special teams player, and they just signed Orion Stewart, who was with the Broncos and the Buffalo Bills. Not regular season action. He was with them in training camp yeah. and then on the practice squad. Well, Goodson, the guy they just picked up, is a special teamer as well. Now, by trade, he's listed as a cornerback, but he's, he's more a special teamer than anything else. Look, the Giants know that they are thin in the secondary in terms of proven commodities on the depth chart. They're well aware of that, and they apparently have decided that, well, you know what? They needed to upgrade special teams anyway. So go ahead Get as many guys as you can possibly get in here who are both secondary guys who may help with the depth but also definitely help on special teams. You and I both know that's one of the primary positions you go to when you look to fill out your special teams unit is secondary. Yeah. So they've, they've gone with a very logical approach here. Now, how many of these guys hit? I have no idea. But you know what? They're taking a shot. And you there's have nothing a wrong with that. Roster. There's no crime. Nothing wrong with that. More players into the mix. So I mean, you can't read into a thing that all oh, these guys are going to make mm -hmm. the roster. But the bottom line is, it's competition, and that's exactly what they're looking for. Plus, remember DRC, who they parted ways with, Paul. That's a player that also chipped in on special teams. So even if you're going to start in this league or start on this team, you have to show some contributions to special teams. And that's why a lot of these guys who have been signed in recent days have that on their resume. Especially if you're going to be the fourth or the fifth corner on this roster, mm -hmm. you don't chip mm -hmm. in on special teams. Forget the roster. You're not even getting a jersey on yeah. game day, too. DRC is still a street-free agent. Has not been signed, as John and I joked yesterday a little bit. He's the kind of guy who might come in at the very end of training camp. I don't know if he necessarily wants to go through a full summer training camp with somebody. So he may be kind of looking at the calendar a little bit before he gets real serious with somebody. But you could do a lot worse than bringing him back. If he is just saying. the market and I'm just saying. feels he has the best shot here, it's if, certainly if, a he's, if he's still out there. You could do a lot worse than bringing him back. And remember, the understanding was that they wanted him to come back, but they couldn't come to terms on, on an agreement. Maybe after sitting out for a little while, maybe the player decides that that wasn't such a bad deal after all. Especially since there's you familiarity with some of the personnel. You never too. know. New scheme. No, I would not rule that out. And I would not rule out the Giants adding perhaps some type of a veteran, not just a corner, Paul, at any position perhaps right before training camp. Because remember, you look at Leon Hall was brought in two years ago. Right at the mm -hmm. start of training camp, and there's somebody. Well, that was a medical position. He he was trying to get healthy, where he could pass a physical for somebody. So that's why he was out for so long. But sometimes guys who have oh, been in the happen. league, they also happen. they don't necessarily have the urge, I should say, for the lack of a better word. There's to no question about that. For OTAs and some of these other workouts, <laughs> there's the, no question about that. It's what I like to call Paul the Brett Favre school of thought, which is I'll show up for the start of training camp, and then we'll get. To work. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's more of a reason why I bring as, that up. As if training camp is so hard nowadays. Yes. Well, you can relate to the two-a-days. Yeah. Can't. I mean, yes. you're not exactly missing a whole lot. But anyway. Mike Nugent is another one I would bring up who was brought in for competition at the mm -hmm. kicker spot also right at the start of training camp last year. I so. think Mike Nugent's a very good name because I wouldn't be at all surprised. If they go that route, too. Would not yeah, surprise again. me at all. Now, I will say this. In terms of veteran corners available, uh, that list is really, really thin. Really, really thin. Because most of the veteran corners who are out on the street during this offseason, uh, like 90% of them have already landed somewhere. So, you know, that's 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 very unlikely. And, and by far, DRC has the best resume. Well, and I know he was meeting with some teams, according to reports. He was. But Obviously, nothing has come to fruition. And, of course, I should point. say, little asterisk, you never know what Darrell Revis is doing. <laughs> you well, never know. He did pop up you with the Kansas City know. Chiefs. Yeah. <laughs>
201-939-4513. That is the telephone number, hashtag Giants Chat. We thank Dave Doran again for weighing in at the top of the show. Let's now get to you if you want to weigh in on anything related to the Giants, the draft, free agency, you name it. Gary is in Virginia. He gets things going on Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. How are we doing, Gary? Good. How are you guys doing? Hi. Doing very well. So what do you have for us? Uh, I got a couple uh, projected lineup questions. I feel like we uh, covered the draft pretty good. And then uh, kind of a fun question for you guys. But my first question is, where do you think B.J. Goodson fits in with all these uh, linebacker additions? He's an inside linebacker with Alec Ogletree starting in what is going to be considered their base 3-4. But again, as we like to tell people, this is not going to be a traditional 3-4 defense. It will be very fluid. Okay. All right. And then with the offensive line, if uh, it seems like we have our, our uh, four starters on the left side, but the right tackle, if, if um, the top five includes John Jerry, could John Jerry or Amame fly to the right tackle spot, or do you think that's going to be somebody else? I think that's mainly going to be Flowers, Wheeler, and Biznavati at this point. I think that's the three-man competition. Omame, it was brought up when the Giants drafted Will Hernandez. He's got experience at right guard. He's got experience at left guard. They're probably going to flip-flop he and Hernandez with Jerry, too, who we tend to forget about, but Jerry's very much in the mix, and they'll let the best men win at those respective spots. But, I mean, if you go back to John Jerry's time with the Dolphins, and he was extremely durable, he was a guard. I mean, this was not a guy he that they... did play a few right. snaps a little, tackle, but, but, but that's not what you they, wanted to do. They did not rely on you him don't to be want a presence in the tackle spot. No. And then, of course, there will be some undrafted rookie free agents that are expected here May 11th uh, when rookie training camp begins. I'm confident that you will see at least a couple of offensive tackles showing up there. And if you know anything about Dave Gettleman, he's a specialist in finding those guys with a fine-tooth comb that nobody else seems to be able to find. So... Maybe something good can come out of that in May. And then again, there's always the possibility that some veteran pops free at some point over the summer. Uh, and uh, they, they give him a shot. You know, one other guy that I want to mention is uh, John Greco was also brought back. He's a veteran guard, too. Yes. So yeah. that's somebody else that is going to have an opportunity to compete and also has ties to Shermer going back to when he was with the Rams. So but that's as a guard. Another name to, correct. Yeah, not but as a tackle. just another name I just wanted to bring up to keep in mind because there's competition at guard at least right now. Oh, there is. With respect to tackle, it's mostly the young guys. Although Jalapio, I believe, is going to be the backup center right now. I don't see him in the guard mix because they have too many guys who can play guard. Jalapio can play center. Okay. All right, the last question I'll take off the air. And uh, after the draft, me and my buddy sit around. We ask this question to each other. It's kind of unrealistic. But if, uh, if you could add one player on offense and one player on defense in the whole NFL, minus a quarterback, um, providing the health is clean and uh, money's all even, who would you add for the Giants with the with the, um, with the guys of the roster we have right now? And I'll take that question. Well, hypothet- hypothetical question, anybody in the league, or we're talking only guys who are available through free agency? Anybody in the league. One anybody in the league. So this is a totally just roster, a fun yes. fantasy question. Correct. Exactly. Okay, right, we'll, yeah. we'll talk to you. And Thank appreciate you. appreciate the phone call, right, Gary. Thanks. thanks so much for weighing Anybody in the league. This is your dream. This is your opportunity to pluck away anybody else from another team. You, you know what the problem is here? Yes. I'm a big J.J. Watt fan. Well, so mention him. I don't think there's any. That's a and problem. I, and, and, and the truth of the matter is that probably does not suit the Giants' needs as much as some other positions. But I would not mind having MVP candidate J.J. Watt on this team. I don't think Even though, honestly, he's not, he would not fit the biggest need here. No, I, I think that's fair, though. I mean, listen, <laughs> he just said you could add anybody. I mean, I'll go need slash versatility, and I'm a big fan of Luke Keekley at the linebacker position. You'd be hard-pressed to find the guy that is as great in coverage as he is in terms of stopping the run. Terrific player. So that, to me, is a guy that I would add, and it really makes no difference whether it's the Giants or any other team. Sign me yeah. up. Well, same thing with JJ. Yeah, correct. But I, I'm just I'm looking, but I'm trying to answer the question because you brought up an interesting point. If you look at the Giants' needs, yeah, he doesn't would you really try to fit, fit that much. in. So that's you know. why it's a little bit more challenging with JJ Watt. I can yeah. say now on offense, do you have anybody that fits that JJ <sighs> Watt mold? On offense, well, I, you know, I I think you just you you just want to go to the offensive line. 
and just like pick any of the terrific offensive tackles in the league and say any one of those guys would be fine. I'd have no objection to taking any one of them. But, uh, you know, when you're just being fantasy, you're having fun here, J.J. Uh, Watt is the guy I probably would take over anybody on offense. Over anybody on offense. Yeah, okay. I probably right. would. Well, I, listen, if you want to look at it from an offensive He's really standpoint, good. He's really good. Yeah, the last time I checked, I, th- I think he's pretty good. You're going out on a limb there, Paul. In, in terms of need for offense, if you wanted to play that game, you know, maybe adding a tall, wide receiver. Is that fair? If, if you wanted to go down that route. So. Like the dude from the Bengals? A.J. Green or Julio Jones was another Julio guy. Julio Jones is not up. a bad idea. So, you know. That would, you know, I think, they got be so many, where I would go. You know, they got so many weapons Well, they have a lot of offense. weapons right to now. To me, sure. I just yeah. got to protect Eli. That's where it all starts for me. I got to protect Eli. If I don't protect Eli, it doesn't matter how many guys are running routes 30, 40 yards downfield. It doesn't do me any good at all. Well, there's no way we can have a dream offensive scenario discussion without discussing the trenches with you involved. So I'm this not is surprised true. that the offensive this line is was true. the first thing so, that came up. Let's move on. All right. Let's hear from Oren in Virginia. Oren, welcome aboard. What do you got? What are you guys this? doing today? Hi. Hi. What's happening? Um, I I wanted to talk about um, I I feel like well, I know why Dave Gettleman got back back from Richmond and stuff. Not just because he was the best um guy on the board to actually bring competition in to Davis Webb, even signing that Tennessee uh Tennessee guy, Davis Webb job. Davis Webb might not even be on the team coming up in the season. You know what I'm saying? Like I feel like um, he's bringing competition in. Well, they, they got, got they got like, four quarterbacks on the roster. He's not going to let him just become the backup easily. And then I and then I from I'm hearing from like other people that um that dude from Richmond is actually really good. If he was playing, they said if he was playing like um top D one um division football, he would probably been in the uh, would drafted in the first round and stuff like that. That's what I heard. And also, I feel like um I feel like it, I think Eric Flowers is going to come back and play one more season with us. And I honestly feel like it's going that I think he's the missing piece of the offense line. Even though he was terrible at the left spot, I feel like he's going to be really good for us at the right tackle spot. And then we got the Will Hernandez, and then we got the other dude from the Jaguars. And if we can get another competition at center, because I'm not really comfortable with Brad Jones. He's a hard word. I love it all, but like I'm not really cool. And I'm really also excited about Georgia's uh, that new rusher we got from Georgia, Lorenzo Carter. Yeah, like I, I, I think he, I think he's going, I think he's going to shock a lot of people. Well, I think okay. that that's a versatile guy that is going to be in the mix and somebody that can play on the line, can play a little bit further back away from the line. So, you know, that's how they view him. And you heard Dave Gettleman say, you know, they gave him a very high-grade second-round value yeah. and they wound up getting him in the third round. So, I mean, I think your point is well taken. I appreciate the phone call, Oren. When you look at what the quarterback situation is right now, I mean, they added Alex Tanney. That's who the caller was referring to. That's yes, why it's now four. from the Titans. Correct, who has one regular season game of experience in back of him. And you got the two young quarterbacks, and you have Eli Manning. But I go back to what Pat Shermer said at his press conference. They want competition, and they also want a good quarterback room, was his emphasis. And they feel as if these guys will push one another behind Eli Manning. He also said that the drafting of Loletta had nothing to do with Eli or Davis Webb. Um, so I would respectfully say if I had to handicap it, Eli will be the starter, Davis Webb will be the two and the heir apparent, unless uh, for some strange reason he falls apart, then perhaps Loletta could wrestle it away from him. But I don't think right now the odds favor that at all. I think the odds favor Loletta being the three and the insurance backup for Davis Webb. Um, and then uh, I think Tanny is simply a, a veteran who's here over the course of the summer. And if something should happen to one of the other fellas, uh, then at least you have somebody here who will have been in the building and could potentially be your number three if necessary. Uh, because I got the impression from Coach Shermer, he said he was looking to keep three quarterbacks on the roster. Yeah. Um and 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 he said there was a chance he might even keep a practice squad guy. He did guy. mention that in passing. Now yeah. maybe, now maybe I don't think Tanny qualifies. He's only even though he's only had one start. Up. I'm not sure he could be a veteran exception. I'm not Remember, sure. Two players on the you can, roster. Veteran exception could have a few. He more years. may or may not. I don't know. Well, it depends on how many accrued years he has. Remember, you got to play at least Correct. six games to get an accrued season. Correct. And I don't. I don't know think he has any. If he has that. 
So the point being, maybe all four of these guys do stick in one way, shape, or form or another. I don't know the answer to that right now because, quite frankly, it's too early to start thinking about it. But I I do believe Davis Webb has a significant leg up on the number two job over anybody else who's in that room right now. Well, I don't disagree with you. The only thing that I will bring up, Paul, that makes this offseason interesting is, remember, they're all starting at level one because it's a brand-new offense. Mm -hmm. So Davis Webb has experience in terms of being in the NFL, understanding prep work, knowing the ins and outs of the study habits and everything you need to do to prepare. But I don't know if he necessarily has a huge leg up on Loletta in terms of the offense, given that it's completely fresh. So that I don't think could be overlooked in the conversation. And if Loletta comes in and has a very impressive offseason and looks good in the preseason, you know that may make things interesting. If Davis Webb was inheriting the same offense, right? This I understand year, that point. Th- th- then I would say I'd feel a lot better that he pretty much has that number two spot in, locked. In down. terms of the playbook, well, the only thing that you can say is because Webb has been here and he has certainly studied the Vikings. He's talked to Case Keenum. Yes, he has had a little bit of a head jump on the playbook, and and obviously, well, that is still not here yet. He won't be here till May 11th when the rookie minicamp starts. So. They are doing things now in the offseason program that Webb is able to implement. So he will have a head start on the playbook. Uh, And then, of course, there's the whole thing about him already being here for a year. I don't think there's much question in my mind. He definitely has a big jump on on anybody else in in any supposed competition. But even the playbook itself, he's going to have a bit of an advantage on because he's been here. I mean, even these short few weeks, he's been here. You know, Loletta has not. So, in any event, don't worry about it, folks. That'll sort itself out. The Giants have many more other issues to deal with besides worrying about who the second, third, fourth string quarterbacks are going to be. Um, looking at Tanny just real quickly, clearly one appearance in 2015 with Tennessee. I don't have in front of me how many games he's dressed for. Right. See, if he dressed for I can five that. or six every single year, then we'd have a better idea of how many accrued seasons he has because this is a player that's been in the league since 2012 going back to when he was undrafted with the Chiefs. But just because you've been in the league that long doesn't mean you have X amount of accrued season. So we'll try to see if we get to the bottom of that. In the meantime, let's head back to the phone line. Cedric is in New Jersey. Cedric, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening? Hey, how are you guys? Doing very well, Cedric. What do you got for us? Good. Uh, I got two questions. One question is uh, the quarterbacks. Why did they get rid of... uh... Geno Smith. Geno Smith single-handedly beat Davis Webb out. No, 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 no. That was never a competition. Davis Webb was to redshirt for the year holding a clipboard. That was never a competition, and he was never to see the field according to the original plan uh, outlaid by Coach McAdoo. So Geno Smith never beat out Davis Webb. That was never going to be the case. So Uh, don't, don't, please don't misinterpret that. So many people have gotten that wrong. That's not why Geno Smith got in the game. Hmm. Anyway, and uh, the second thing, do you think uh, Des Bryant had a chance to come to the Giants? Well, his name's been thrown out a lot. They, based on the reports that we've seen, it, it seemed to think that he was going to wait till after the draft to sign with the team. I mean, it may not surprise me if you know Des perhaps you know, sees what the market plays out and also looks to see if another wide receiver gets hurt because supposedly, according to reports, I, I think the Ravens offered him a deal, but it was a multi-year deal, and he's looking for one of those one-year prove-it deals so he could cash in after that. I mean, it, it depends really if he feels as if the Giants can offer him something that's appealing to him and, and whether or not the Giants want to bring in a veteran when they may want to continue to develop guys like Tavares King and Roger Lewis and some of these other young players. So, you know, r- right now it doesn't seem like there's any indication that something like that would happen, but things could change. We've seen veterans join a team late, but I think right now the Giants are pretty content with what they have in the mix. Mm, okay, okay, all right. Yeah, that would be a good look for him, though. You, he wouldn't even have to do nothing, just stand there. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, you got, his height and his size certainly helps him, but I, I think there's a little bit more than just standing there and uh, and being productive, Cedric. Yeah, and uh, appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in. Gino, a, Gino Smith, by the way, I just want to add, he was a free agent, so it, it wasn't like yes. the Giants released him. He just he was a free agent. He had every right to sign with another team. Went to the Chargers. Went to the Chargers, correct. Uh, yeah. Info on Tanny. Um, signed to the Browns active roster for from the Cowboys practice squad November of 2013. 
So if he was active there, that would have been a very few small amount of games. Then he doesn't get back on an active roster until signed by the Titans to their active roster from the Colts practice squad December 22nd of 15. So he might have been active for a game or two. Yeah. So that's not very much. Then he doesn't get activated again until the Titans sign him to their active roster from the practice squad December 27th of 16. So that's probably only a week. So I, I'm thinking there's a real good chance he gets the veteran exception for the practice squad if they, if they want to put it in there. I just, what I just need to clarify is, is there a point where, for, regardless of how many games you've been in, when you're in the league for X amount of years, does sort of the accrued season rule get thrown out the, the practice window? practice squad rules have changed over the they years have so changed, many times. And, and I know accrued season, six games. I just don't know, considering he's had ties to the NFL since 2012. I don't know if there's sort of an expiration date once you've tasted the NFL for now we're going into, what, about six years. All right, here's practice so squad rules the, uh, and That's the one thing that I just wonder if okay. that rules things out. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, you know what? I, 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 don't, I don't see anything about how many years you're allowed to go. That's the one little caveat that I just want to get clarified. There used to be There used to be a requirement. Exactly. That you had to be, I believe it was, under three years of NFL experience in addition to all the other things whereby you could still go to the practice squad. But usually squad. when they say years of experience, remember, that's based on an accrued Correct. season, which is six games. But I'm just wondering, once you get to the point that you've been in the league, forget how many games you've played, are you still eligible? For example, I mean, what's then from preventing a team, Paul, from putting a 35-year-old linebacker, you know, on the practice squad right. if he's been with 17 different teams, but he's only played three or four games over the course of that time? That's what I'm wondering whether or not there's some language that outlaws that. The league now offers four players per practice squad to have two accrued seasons so that you can get quote, veterans, veterans on the yes. practice squad. An accrued season means a player was on full pay status for six or more regular season games on the club's uh, lists. Uh, I'd say he's probably eligible. Based on that language, I would agree with you. I, I just wonder if there's a little bit more in, any in terms of the rules. But it's something to keep in mind. Based on, And the only reason why we're bringing this up is because Pat Shermer did say during that press conference, after they drafted Lalletta, that he might Lalletta, consider, putting he may one consider on putting squad. somebody on the practice squad in addition to the three on the roster, or maybe two on the roster and one right. on the practice squad. Some type of combination. Let's head back to the lines. We got EJ in Florida. EJ, welcome aboard. What do you got for us? How you guys doing? Doing right, uh, EJ. What's happening? Good. Good. Uh, I just got really one question, one statement. The question is uh, about. The safety position. Now, we all know Landon Collins is the all-pro. He's the man. But the question about him coming out in the draft was if he was the ability for him to play the ball in the air, which obviously we all found out he's pretty dang good at. But I still think he's more of a uh, thumper or someone you could put inside the box. So my question to you guys is, uh, for the second safety spot, are they still going with Darian Thompson or are they going with that Michael Thomas guy? What's the plan for the Well, don't forget the Andrew Adams is there as well. I mean, Andrew Adams is another oh, guy yeah. that uh, I would yeah, not he's, dismiss. He's there. Yeah. Well, I, I think yeah, you named yeah. all the guys that are in the mix. And Michael Thomas is a great special teams player. Mm-hmm. Darian Thompson, you know, has dealt with some injuries in the early stages of his career. And Andrew Adams, as a result of those injuries, has been able to get on the field. So they have options to complement Landon Collins as more of a deep safety that you're referring to. I, I see Landon yeah. Collins as Buchanan's role in Arizona, and Buchanan was a player that played safety. They converted him to linebacker. I'm not saying that the Giants are going to move Landon Collins to linebacker, but I'm sure that James Betcher is going to try to take advantage of his skill set down near the box at times. Yeah, Betcher did say he's going to be all over the field. He did, however, say he would not compare him to Buchanan. He was going to play much more safety than Buchanan did. I would add this, though. Uh, I do think that even though Darian Thompson is a holdover, what he showed in rookie camp when he came out of Boise State was poise, was terrific ball skills, looked like he was going to be a dynamite center fielder. Then he got hurt. So now last year he comes back off of the injuries, 
And you know what? It was a very quiet season for him. I think everybody, including himself, was very disappointed. Now, let's see what happens after a full year coming off the injury of the rehab and everything else. Maybe, maybe the physicality and the injury played with his head a little bit. And maybe he wasn't quite the player he was supposed to be. So maybe now, maybe now the real Darian Thompson shows up and we see what we thought we saw during that summer rookie camp. If that's the case... He'll be a dynamite free safety for this team. But right now, it's a show-me situation. We just don't know if the potential is real or if what we saw last year was more the reality. Well, the only thing, my only fear is this. Let's say Darren Thompson, who, like you said, showed a lot of great poise, a lot of great flash. Let's say he goes down three weeks in, God forbid, three weeks into the season. Then you throw Andrew Adams out there, who, if I remember correctly, he lost his starting spot last year. Maybe I got that wrong. What do you do? Do you put William Gay possibly back there at times? Are you going to put Michael Thomas, who's mainly a special teamer? What would be the backup plan Well, you if got- a guy like Terry Thompson can't play like he's proven that he had had injury issues in the past? Well, you got, you got Tim Scott and Ryan Murphy, a couple of former 49ers yeah. who are also on the depth chart. Uh, quite frankly, uh, I don't know much about them, but I'm sure they'll be given an opportunity to compete if necessary. Uh, Andrew Adams is more of a strong safety than he is a free safety, which is why, to be perfectly frank with you, it's probably not the greatest idea to pair him with Collins because neither no. one of them is a true center fielder ball hawk type. That's why Thompson's mm-hmm. probably a better mix there. For me, Andrew Adams is better in the Buchanan role. Because he's a good mm-hmm. tackler. Yeah. He's good in one support. Well, and he was a special teamer, too. Yes. Yeah. I like him as the third safety in a sub package who maybe cheats into the box and becomes that pseudo-nickel linebacker. I think Andrew Adams has a role on this team. I really do. And, and I think it'll well, be a bigger role than you saw last year. Well, I thank you, Paul. You always arrest my trouble in mind. You're the man. <laughs> All right, AJ, have a good day. day. Appreciate the phone call. I mean, they also added Orion Stewart just now, and once again, limited experience. So, you know, they're going to compete for those back-end positions, and they're going to see what they have out of this group. There's a lot of unknown because a lot of these guys who they brought in don't have a wealth of regular season experience. So they have to see Mm -hmm. what they could do during the course of OTAs and and training camp. And I think the other thing we have to keep in mind when looking at the depth uh, on the defensive side of the ball is don't be so quick – to say a guy can or cannot do it, even though he may have been somewhere else beforehand, because chances are that player has probably never been in a scheme such as James Betcher's in his life. And James Betcher is such a scheme-oriented guy. We require so much versatility, so much pressure at the line of scrimmage um, that, you know what? There may be some guys who will flourish in this style of defense, who will do better in this style of defense because the sum of the parts is better than the individual parts. And a guy may suddenly emerge and become part of this unit and an effective part of this unit, even if maybe somewhere else where he was asked to do too many things individually, he did not succeed as well. Well, because it's a new scheme and they may have not had the opportunity to do whatever the Giants are going to ask for that player in their previous stint. The other thing that you're going to have to do a lot of different things for Betcher. And the other thing, based on what the last caller brought up, is I would not just label Michael Thomas as a special teamer because if you go back and you look at what he did, he played. I mean, he started 13 games in 2015 of the 16 games, and he had 66 tackles that year. So he is just as much in the mix as a defensive back as he is in terms of somebody that's going to contribute on special teams. Let's head back to the lines. We check in with Muhammad in Columbus. Muhammad, what's happening? Hello? Taking my call. Hi. Hey, Hey, Muhammad. What's happening? Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Uh, well, basically, I just had a couple questions about two uh, position groups. Uh, one of them you guys kind of covered. Um, I was just thinking about the linebacker court. Um, one one guy in particular, uh, Avery Moss. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know last year he didn't play a whole lot, and I was just thinking, you know, I was trying to figure out like what you guys think about, you know, his fit in this scheme. And um, and then and then another position is the wide receiving core, uh, like the third receiver. Uh, what do you guys think about Cody Latimer? I haven't heard a lot, you know, about him, but I think he was very talented. You know, I'm from the Big Ten country. I know he went from uh, he went to uh, Indiana. Indiana, mm-hmm. yep. And I remember seeing him in college. He was pretty good. 
Which one do you um, want? What do you guys think about uh, oh. Cody Latimer? Cody Latimer, I mean, we can start there, and then we'll go back to Avery Moss. Actually, from what I saw during the course of some of their beginning workouts, Latimer, because Odell Beckham is still sidelined, was actually taking a lot of snaps with the first team. He was. And he was lining up as a wide receiver. So there is potential there. Remember, the new Giants wide receiver coach worked with him in Denver, so there's the ties there. Mm-hmm. So that, I think, bodes yep, well for him. He, just, yep. he was not asked to do a lot of receiving because of Demarius Thomas and some of the other players that were in front of him in Denver. But that doesn't mean, to your point, which we were just talking about, Paul, what defensive players were asked to do elsewhere may be completely different for what they're being asked with the Giants. I would not rule him out. I think he's going to get a fair chance to compete for that third spot with the Roger Lewises, with the oh, – Tavares King, excuse me, who I mentioned is now with the Vikings, so he's no longer with the Giants. But yeah, Roger he's Lewis not is, even with us anymore. He's got his number, actually. He's yes, he does. Yeah, number exactly. 12. So, so Roger Lewis yeah. and Latimer, I, I think, are going to be in the mix for that third wide receiver spot. La- I would not rule it out. Latimer's a special teamer as yeah. well. And, you know, I, I got grief from a couple of guys on Twitter who said he didn't have stats when I said that he's a possession-move-the-chains kind of guy. Guy. That's the characteristics of what he is. He's not a yeah. big play long ball guy. Though. You know? He's not. Yeah. He's not a big play long ball guy. His style, his characteristics, his skill set lends itself to a move the chains kind of guy who's got pretty good length and he was a second round draft pick coming out. Yeah. I tell people it would not surprise me if he becomes the new version of what Dominic Hickson was. When the Giants yes. plucked Dominic Hickson off the Broncos waiver wire, it would not surprise yes, me at definitely. all. If, although I think Hickson had more speed than people gave him credit for, he could make some big plays downfield. Yeah, I think and he could he could kick return too. He was oh no question. I was a big Dominic Hickson fan <laughs> and a pros pro. I think Latimer yeah. could be that style of player. Don't 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 quote me on he's going to have the same numbers, well, but he could be that kind right. of player. And, and here's a perfect example. Latimer, I'm looking up. He played just 33% of the offensive snaps last year. Right. So, you know, that that's what I'm saying. You can't judge the statistics for Denver because Denver didn't give him that much of an opportunity because, as I mentioned, the player's in yeah. front of him. So if those snaps go up and they believe that he can be the third wide receiver, who's to say that perhaps his numbers can't Look at it this way. Well. The receiver's coach of the right. Broncos who's come over to the Giants – he obviously stuck his neck out for him uh, and, and told right. the Giants that, you know, thumbs up on this guy. He's not going to do that unless he really believes this guy has some potential. Okay? So, let, I mean, let's just be honest about it. Now, the other thing you asked about Avery Moss. Avery yeah. Moss is a raw player who has very a good, great attitude, good work ethic, pass rush skills, untapped last year. You know, I think they were hoping he could be a little bit of both, a, a lineman and a linebacker. They worked him a little bit at linebacker in practice. But I think, to me, that's the kind of player who could really benefit from Betcher's scheme because he's the I kind of guy in, in, a, in the sub-package. I think he's the kind of guy in the sub-package, he could give you different looks. He could stand up. He could put his hand in the dirt. He could blitz. He could hold the line of attack because he's a strong player. I think he can hold up against the run. I'm I'm really curious about what Avery Moss does for Betcher. I, I just I got a feeling, and it's nothing more than a gut feeling, folks, that Avery Moss is going to give this giant this Giants team a lot more quality snaps than people think he will. Just a gut. I think so too. I think so too. That's why I kind of brought him up because I feel like he he's he, he's got a lot you know ahead of him. Kind of like you know how when Tuck. Uh, first came in the first year, first couple of years, he wasn't really getting that chance. Well, and then Tuck when, wasn't healthy, he too, that, remember. Yeah. Tuck yeah, was yeah, dealing yeah, with injuries. Once he got that chance, career. he became one of the top, you know, defensive ends that we've ever had in our, you know, franchise. Don't forget, he originally was a Nebraska recruit and yep. was there for a couple of years yeah. before yeah, transferring. He was, yeah, he was in trouble, yeah. So, you know, like that's said, a pretty I'm good a big, program and a pretty good league. follow all the Big Ten people. Yeah. Yeah, he's got something now. The question is... Can they bring it out of them, and can it be developed? And, again, I think last year's staff, they weren't quite sure exactly how to to get it out of them. We'll see if Betcher can do that. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thanks for taking my call, man. I'll keep listening, all right? Thank you very much. Appreciate the phone call.
Yeah, the third defensive end spot is another one to watch because, you know, we've been talking about this in previous seasons. You know, sometimes guys have shown flashes, but there hasn't necessarily been that consistency. For example, right. Romeo Quara, you know, when he filled in for JPP, that Cowboys game. Quiet season last and year. And then, you know, you didn't really see much. Kerry Wynn has had his fair share of flashes. Josh Morrow's going to be suspended for the first four games right. when he comes into the mix. That's another player to watch. Mm-hmm. There's an opportunity for somebody to emerge. There's a need, I would argue for somebody to emerge. At least they have some players they can turn to and say, there's a spot here. Crash that door in. Take the spot. At least they've got guys they can turn to and they can give snaps to on the practice field and tell them to go earn it. It's a little bit of a different story when you don't have anybody at a given spot and it's like, "Uh uh-oh, Will somebody please ring the doorbell because <laughs> yeah. we don't we don't really have anything here that's got a chance to do it. Well, and that's why you see them bringing in volume at various positions because it's better to just let the competition play yes. out as opposed to that's only have want. one or two guys. Competition's good. The other thing I wanted to throw out before we get back to the lines, just to emphasize the point of Latimer's stats not telling the whole story. So in 2016, I mentioned in 17, Paul, he only played 33% of the offensive snaps. Mm-hmm. In 16, he played 20% of the offensive snaps. And now let's just take a glance at 15. Because once again, I mean, if you're not seeing the field as an offensive player, in 15 it went down to 17%. So it is increased little by little, but we're still only talking about he maxed out at 33%. What do you expect statistically from an offensive wide receiver that has only played 33% of the snaps? Again, Tyke Tolbert, who was the receiver's coach at Denver, uh, comes over to the Giants and... You know, if the Giants didn't think that his opinion and his thumbs up on this guy wasn't worth taking a shot at, they would have brought the player in. I mean, why would you? Well, and I also think he was appealing because Dwayne Harris was let go. So I think that they also envisioned you brought up Dominic Hickson. Dwayne Harris, remember, was that complimentary receiver who filled in when there were injuries. Yes. And at the same time, he was their key return man. So I think that was also the thought process as to why probably Tolbert recommended him and Dave Gettleman and the rest of the staff took a look at him because he can fill dual roles, special teams as well as the wide receiver spot. Let's head back to the lines. We've got Pete on Staten Island. Pete, what's happening? Hi, guys. Good afternoon. How are you? Doing well, Pete. How's things with you? Uh, Pretty good, pretty good. I'm glad the weather changed. Uh, yeah, isn't anyway, it great? Um, that makes one of us. <laughs> or two of us, I should say. I should say that makes two of you because I'm a cold guy, so I- I'm not too fond of the 90-degree weather, but that's a whole other yeah, issue. Yeah. Well, I'm cold in the house. Okay. <laughs> to, eat, to each anyway, their own, as I say. Um, you to were each just their talking own. about Corey Latimer, yeah. and uh, uh, we had talked a few weeks ago about this, Paul, you know, probably three or four weeks ago, yeah. actually. And um, – you know, if they just use, you know what, they're probably going to sign another uh, guy, I have to imagine, at some point, you know, for the third spot, um, unless they're happy with Latimer. But, you know, they have Roger Lewis and Latimer at this point. I'm, I'm thinking they're going to battle for that third spot. You would think but, so right now. Pardon me? You would think so right now that they they would be in the competition for the third spot, and that means the fourth and fifth spots are still wide open too. Yeah, Travis Rudolph is another guy. Travis Rudolph is a guy who's so, really yeah. – he's – boy, the, the door is so wide open for Travis Rudolph to be one of the five receivers on this team, but he's really got to pick it up. He made this team last year uh, on the practice squad after a terrific summer, and then at the end of the season when he got activated, he was very quiet. He has to make noise this summer. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the, the, the point I was going to bring up, because, uh, Paul, you know, we spoke about this, and I think, Lance, you were there. Um, I watched a lot of the Viking games last year and because uh, I had um, uh, Adam Thielen as one of my fantasy guys. So I watched a Undrafted lot of Undrafted free agent, and by the way. you know what? I expect he was ever in the number three spot, and they're talking about dads and this and that. Forget about dads. You know, they used Treadwell in that position as a complement to what they had. They had um, Diggs on the outside and Phelan on the inside. So basically, I'm thinking uh, whoever the three is is going to be a complement. And of course, if you know, you know, obviously, uh, if they have a wonderful season, we're not going to we're not going to uh, argue over it. We're going to be delighted. But uh, whoever is the number three. To me, it's just going to be a compliment to OBJ, uh, Engram, and and uh, Shep. Um, 
And my second point, if you don't mind, can you explain to me how the process of the undrafted free agents work and how how long we have to sign them? Sure. And and uh, and I'll take the call. I'll take your answer over uh, over the uh, phone. All right, Pete. Appreciate the phone call. All right, let me take that when you take his first point. Well, if you want to talk about the undrafted, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, the undrafted, yeah. usually when you get to the middle of the seventh round or so, and sometimes even a little earlier, teams will start calling guys who they don't think are going to get drafted the rest of the way. And they say, listen, uh, Jim, uh, so-and-so from the Giants calling, uh, if you don't get picked, okay, in the next whatever number of picks, we really would love to talk to you. Because uh, we have we have some room in our depth chart. We think you can compete for a job. Uh, we'll call you as soon as the draft is over. We're going to ring you again. Make sure you answer the phone now for us because we'd, we'd like to bring you in. And a bunch of teams are doing that. So the calls are really going hot and heavy to guys in that during the course of the last round, especially the last half of the last round. And, and you're just hoping that you can convince player X – to choose your team over maybe the six or seven other teams that might be calling, wanting to bring him in as an undrafted rookie free agent. Because as soon as the draft is over, now you can make a verbal agreement with the guy and say, okay, you were not drafted. Now you're a free agent. Yes, do we have you? This is the little bit of signing bonus we're going to give you. This may be the little, you know, little guarantee we're going to give you. Uh, do we have a deal? Problem is, it's now just a verbal, Okay. And until the guy actually signs the contract, he's free game to be poached by somebody else because all you have is his word that he's going to come to your rookie camp and be one of your guys. I've seen it happen over the years many times, which is why I tell people when you see the free agent list of undrafted rookie free agents who have committed to your team, take it with a whole pound of bag of salt because there are guys who will get poached and by the time the mini camp rolls around, all of a sudden you're looking around, you're like, wait a minute, I thought that such and such team got that quarterback. Oh, no, 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 no. He wound up getting poached, and the other team on that side of, uh, of, of the Mississippi, uh, they got him. He's over in their rookie camp. He's not in yours. That's how it works. But once they sign, and they can sign at any time, okay, once they sign, they're now yours. You have them under contract, and they can get on the practice field with you at the rookie minicamp. So that's how that whole thing works. The other question he had was right before that he was talking about. Well, he was just bringing up the Vikings offense and right. how they structured things. And here's what I want you to understand about that, too. Um, the Giants could always, if they wanted to, and we certainly saw it a lot last year, use Evan Ingram as that pseudo third wide receiver in the wide receiver package. Line him up in that spot. Okay. So to think about this. Jamal Adams had a nice spring. I don't know. You know, he's probably. Jarrell Adams. Uh, Jarrell Adams. Adams. He's probably in an earn it situation. But we know they got Ellison. And we know, uh, I think, oh, was it O'Malley signed during the offseason? Correct. Okay. Yeah. So they got a few tight ends here. It's It's not impossible to think that. They also have Kyle Carter, remember, who was with the Vikings. Yeah, So he has another right. connection to Shermer. One of Shermer's guys. Yeah, he's a guy to keep an eye on. Maybe instead of keeping the extra receiver on the back end of the depth chart, maybe they keep an extra tight end. And so in obvious passing downs, when you're going maybe four wide spread, Ingram and Latimer and Shepard and OBJ, maybe those are your four wide outs, you know, and – you consider Engram a wide out in the sub package, but in your standard base, he's considered a tight end. Well, you I, could do that. Well, and here's the other thing to factor in: do they designate somebody as a fullback, or do they keep a tight end? Still, that they're something utilize we're trying to fullback? figure out. That's another thing that you have to take into consideration. We're still trying to figure that yeah. out. So there's a lot in flux here, and we haven't had the chance to actually get into that kind of philosophical thinking with either Coach Shermer or Coach Shula. Because I think you got to wait to the it's roster a little early. take shape. It's a little early. So you get to the 90-man roster, then you start to think about you know where guys fit in and so forth. The, the only other thing that I wanted to add to with respect to the undrafted free agents is there are some players that are going to sign deals strictly for rookie minicamp. 
and then there's going to be other guys yes. that may have signed the deal that is basically a 90-man roster spot because a lot of the players that are going to be invited to rookie minicamp, they're not making the roster, and they're not mm-hmm. part of the 90-man roster. So mm-hmm. there is a difference. You just have to take that into consideration. And then what happens is from the players that they reviewed during rookie minicamp, some then they'll then invite to be a part of the 90-man roster, and others then become free to go and sign wherever they want if they get opportunities elsewhere. So there's sort of different categories for all of these undrafted free agents. Not everybody that comes to rookie minicamp is automatically on the 90-man roster. Anyway, uh, veterans out there, Eric Decker, he's a tall target. Receiver, who actually talked about retiring potentially, and then I know was you know, uh, thinking Michael about Floyd, coming Michael Floyd, Viking, by you the know, way. We yeah. saw the Vikings towards the tail end of last you know, year. These would be the kinds of guys, if the Giants were interested in bringing in such a veteran, those would be the kind of guys who might fit what they would be looking for, you would think. But again, I'm strictly talking hypothetically because I have not heard any words or whispers that those guys are coming in here. But I would think that veteran-wise, they would fit the box. And I think a lot of it also depends on what these various coaches and teams think about their veterans. And sometimes you don't get an idea of that, Paul, until they get into more OTAs. Mm -hmm. So that's why they may not be in a hurry to sign some of these veteran wide receivers. That's why, I mean, Des Bryant is still out on the market. And some of the players that you just named, teams may want to say, all right, let's get through the first OTA or two. Let's see what we have out of the young guys. If they jump off the film, then you know what? Let's give them the best opportunity to make the roster. If they don't, you know, then we could start to think about bringing an established veteran. Yeah. That, I think, is also part of the process that most of the teams go through. But it would not surprise me if the Giants added a veteran right before training camp. It's been done before, Mm -hmm. and other teams do the same thing. And sometimes it has to do with maybe the player wanting to wait and see if any injuries take place during OTAs because you don't want to see it happen, unfortunately. It's just the nature of the beast. Some guys are going to go down, and then that could create an opportunity. And that's why maybe the player doesn't want to sign with the team because he wants to wait for his best opportunity for playing time. And that may be what some of these veterans are thinking of. Well, the other thing to take into account is a lot of times because wide receiver is a speedy position, speed has a lot of basis in where guys, uh, coaches want to go with that spot. Even though there are other times where you want a veteran in there, sometimes you just want to get younger and faster at the position. And potentially, you know, you're going to do that by bringing in a bunch of new young faces in camp. And then when all, you know, all fails, if that's the case, then all of a sudden you say, okay, guess what? We went that way. We couldn't find what we wanted. Now we'll go the other way and we'll settle for a veteran who may be on the back end of his career because uh, we just think there'll be more reliability there. It, it can it can work in a variety of ways. The mindset and the philosophy always evolves. It does. In the offseason. It does. It always changes. You have to look at every angle of the prism before you really come up with the appropriate answer at the end of the day. All right. That is going to wrap things up for us on today's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We want to thank Dave Doran once again, NC State football head coach, for joining us to talk about B.J. Hill. Speaking of B.J. Hill, tomorrow we are going to be joined by Dave Huxtable, his defensive coordinator from NC State. So we'll get a different perspective of what Hill is going to bring to the Giants. And we're also going to be joined by Adam Behrens, who is working with Kyle Lawletta. He's been working with him through IMG Academy, going back to the Senior Bowl through the draft process. So we'll get his perspective on what Lawletta has been working on since he was drafted. He's a quarterback tutor. Correct. Quarterback tutor. If you remember, we spoke to somebody who did the same thing with Davis Webb. Jim Zorn. Jim Zorn, who was the former Redskins head coach. So we're trying to get somebody that has been really on top of Lawletta to see his progress since his end of his collegiate career. So stay tuned for that on Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday right here on Giants.com. Have a good one.